coming. This morning, as we begin our, our message, I want to first pause to dismiss our kids upstairs for our kids' crew worship time. So this is going to be for children who are fourth grade and younger. They're going to make their way upstairs to join our leaders, where they will have a time of worship and teaching, lots of fun and activities that is designed specifically for them while they're doing that. Let me encourage you to turn in your Bible this morning to Joshua chapter 1. We are working our way through the Bible this year in 2023. We are reading through the Bible together. I hope you're participating in our Bible reading plan with us. If you're not, let me encourage you. It is not too late to get started. You may think, well, I've missed effectively two months of the year so far. And I would just encourage you, just jump in at this point. Even if you just start today with the book of Joshua and, and begin working your way through the book of Joshua, we would encourage you to dive in, to, to be a part of what we're doing. Because we're connecting our teaching on Sunday mornings this year, and even my teaching on Wednesday nights as well, to our reading plans. We're calling this Redemption Stories. We're working our way through the Bible. And of course, there's no way we can capture every text, every story. I couldn't preach through every chapter of the Bible, but we're, we're following the main story. And, and really, that's the point, is to understand that though the Bible may be 66 books, it's one story of what God is doing and how He is redeeming us. And so, we're in the book of Joshua this week, if you're following along and doing the reading. In fact, we would be even today in the book of Joshua. And a few days ago, we read from Joshua chapter 1. By the way, one more thing I haven't said already that I probably should mention this before we really dig any deeper into this. There are copies of the Bible reading plan, because you may be thinking, great, I'll do it. How do I know what I'm supposed to be reading? There are printed copies of the reading plan in the foyer, or you can go to our website and there on the page where our messages are archived, where our sermons are archived, there's a link to information for the Bible reading plan as well. If you use the YouVersion Bible app, then you can find the canonical Bible reading plan. It's not the same exactly day by day, but it's the same basic idea. Both are plans that are designed to just work our way through the Bible. The difference between a canonical, because you may be thinking, what does that word even mean? The canonical versus the chronological reading plan. A chronological reading plan tries to follow the basic timeline of biblical events, so you don't necessarily just start with Genesis and read Revelation. You start with Genesis, and then you're going to veer off toward the book of Job at a certain part, and you're going to veer off toward some of the historical books in the Old Testament at certain parts. And so it's trying to follow the, the general timeline versus a canonical plan just starts with the first book and reads to the end, much like we would read any other book. Well, most of us, the way most of us read any other book, right? There are a few people that jump around even when they read a book. And, uh, and so that's the plan we're following the canonical Bible reading plan, and you can, you can just jump in today, the book of Joshua. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 1 today, and as we think about who is Joshua and the story of Joshua and all that's taking place here, Joshua was Moses' assistant. So Moses was, of course, this iconic figure, this, this uh, leader of the nation who led Israel out of the exile in Egypt 
We all know of Moses, many of us in our minds. We, we talked about a few weeks ago, we may picture Charlton Heston, you know, that, the, the movie, that, that, the, the character that he portrayed many years ago in that movie, The Ten Commandments. But nonetheless, we recognize Moses as this larger-than-life sort of figure who led this charismatic leader that God used in such a powerful and a dramatic way in the life of Israel. And Joshua was Moses' right-hand man. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, if you've been following along and reading, we see that even in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses has gathered together the nation of Israel. He's preparing for his death because he knows his days are numbered. He knows that he's, he's reached the end of his life. And as he's gathered together the nation of Israel, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, he's giving them instruction and he's reminding them of the law. We talked about the word Deuteronomy even means second law. It's the second time. that So essentially Moses is giving them the law. He's reminding them of God's commandments. And in the book of Deuteronomy, as we near the end of the book of Deuteronomy, we see some pointed words that are directed specifically to Joshua. If you begin reading in, say, Deuteronomy 30, Deuteronomy 31, you're going to find that, that Moses speaks directly to Joshua, preparing Joshua for his leadership, knowing that he will soon pass, and when he passes, he will hand the reins to Joshua, so to speak. That Joshua will take over the leadership of this nation. And as he's preparing him, and even as God is preparing Joshua for this, the Lord speaks a word to him. Well, that's effectively where the book of Joshua begins. Moses has now died. Moses has passed. And in Joshua chapter 1, we see that Joshua has assumed the mantle of leadership. And so the very first thing we see in the opening verses of the book of Joshua is the word of God to Joshua, guiding him, directing him as now he has stepped in. I was, I was thinking about uh, this this week, and, and I suppose even just recently in connection with the fact that, uh, of, of my leadership here at First Baptist Church. I've been the pastor here at First Baptist Church for just over 12 years now. In fact, last month, the month of February, we eclipsed my 12th anniversary of leadership here at the church. And even this week, I was having a conversation with someone about past past pastors and leadership of the church and kind of running down the, the timeline of who have been some of these leaders and great men of God and, and great people. But 12 years ago, when I assumed the mantle of leadership pastoring this church, I was 32 years old in those days. Later this week, I celebrate my 45th birthday on Friday of this, this coming week. And so I was 32 that many years ago, and I was following the footsteps of Johnny Timms, who most of you, many of you know Johnny Timms. Johnny well, it is to this day a, a hero to me, a great man of God. But there was such a, a, a strong difference between Johnny and I. For one thing, Johnny, when he retired from pastoring this church, had been a pastor, a senior pastor, a lead pastor for over 50 years. I was 32 at the time, right? And I had never been a lead pastor. I had been in student ministry for a little over a decade, but I had never been a lead pastor of a church. And yet God had prepared me for that moment. God had prepared First Baptist Church for that moment. I'm thinking about that. And, and so I was reflecting on all that because just in trying to apply this to my life, thinking about just all the layers of how God has used the story of Joshua in my life over the years and how it is encouraged me and, and, and really helped me in, in my leadership. But I was thinking, you know, Joshua had such tremendous shoes to fill. Maybe you've been in a situation like that before. Maybe it was a family figure. 
who passed, and you became sort of the, the de facto leader of, of the family. Everybody's looking to you. Maybe it's in business that you assumed, maybe you, you got a promotion, or you stepped into a new position, or maybe you, maybe you began a company, or you, you purchased a company, or you've made some kind of a, a, a business move, or a career type of move that all of a sudden puts you in a position of leadership. Maybe uh, we have some who've served in the armed forces, and, and you've served in that chain of command. And as you worked your way up the chain of command, you found yourself in a leadership position now where once you followed someone else, now you are the one that everyone is looking to for leadership and decisions. That's the very sort of thing that Joshua has stepped into. And I think it's important to try to connect with that, the context, so that we can relate somewhat to all that Joshua is feeling here. And yet the incredible thing is that it's in the midst of that that God speaks here to Joshua. And the, the word of the Lord to Joshua in this moment is effectively this. Joshua Get yourself ready to lead this nation. God doesn't waste any time. He doesn't mix any words in saying, Joshua, you are the leader. You are the person for the hour. You are the one that is going to take the people into the promised land. So now prepare yourselves for this because I will be with you. And that's the key. If there's a a, a key to understanding this morning's message, if there's a key to applying Joshua chapter 1 to our lives as we think about how we are to live in light of this truth, this is it. That we would understand that God is calling us, each one of us, to live by faith, to walk in obedience, and that His promise is no matter where we go, no matter what we do, He will be with us. And so we're called to walk in strength and courage, and we want to understand what that would mean for us, what that would look like for us. And so let's read together the first nine verses of Joshua chapter 1. And as we read these verses together, I want you to look for the specific instruction in these verses. Be strong and courageous. It happens three times in the verses we're going to read together. So we read in verse 1, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore arise, go over this Jordan, that's a river, you and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, of the great sea toward going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. 
Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If you understand a bit of the history of all that Israel, the nation, had been through, and you understand sort of the, 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 the most recent events, and I say most recent, meaning the last 40 years as they've been living in the wilderness waiting for the moment that God would deliver them into the promised land, then you begin to understand the weight of what Joshua must have felt here. And so Israel, the nation of Israel, are gathered to the east of the Jordan River. You probably have a map. If you, if you have a Bible, like a printed version of the Bible, some of you may be looking at it on a phone, a tablet, or another device, but if you have a Bible, no doubt in the back of your Bible there are going to be maps, and you can turn to one of those maps in the back of the Bible, and you'll, you'll find a map of Israel. And as you look at the map of Israel, you'll notice the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, and connecting the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, there's a river that runs north and south. That's the Jordan River. The nation of Israel are gathered to the east of the Jordan River, and they're preparing to enter into the the land of the Canaanites. It's a a group of people, multiple groups and tribes of, of people who lived in the land west of the Jordan River. And God had promised Israel that that would be their land, their ancestral home, the place that he would give to them as their inheritance, a place that they might that they might establish themselves. That's actually the very same land that the nation of Israel occupies in modern day times as well. It's this land of the Canaanites, Israel even as we know it today. And so as they're preparing to enter into the promised land, God is speaking to Joshua and he's saying, Joshua, prepare yourself, you and the nation, because I'm going to lead you into the promised land. Now, way back in Numbers chapter 13, if you've been reading along, or even if you haven't, you may know well the story. Way back in Numbers 13, we see that as the nation of Israel were in the wilderness, that they sent 12 spies into the land of Canaan. These 12 spies, each of them were a key member of one of the different tribes, the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And so these 12 leaders, these 12 spies, go into the promised land, and they spend 40 days in the promised land. And then they come back in Numbers chapter 13, and they report on all that they saw. And of the 12 spies that went into Canaan, two of them brought back a report that was favorable, and 10 brought back a report that wasn't favorable. And the difference between the two reports, they saw the same things, they, they saw the same people, the same cities, the same armies, the same fortifications, the same everything, and yet the difference of how they understood it was a matter of perspective. The two spies that, saw the, that, that gave the favorable report said, we've seen all of these things, great cities, giant people, a land that flows with milk and honey, which is not literal, but it just means a prosperous, a bountiful land, a, a land that is good to provide for all of our needs. It's rich in resources. That We've seen all of this. We should go now because God has promised to deliver this into our hands. The other ten saw all of those same things, and yet they thought, but these people are too great. Their armies are too great. Their cities are too mighty. Their walls are too tall. It's too much for us. We can't do this. The difference, of course, was a matter of faith, understanding what God could do, not what they might do in their own strength, but what God would do for them if they would walk in obedience. And now, 
40 years later, Joshua is one of the two spies who remain. In fact, Joshua and Caleb are the elder statesmen of Israel now, because when the the 12 spies brought back the report, God delivered a word of judgment to the people of Israel, the nation of Israel. And he said, no one older than 20 will enter into the promised land. Every one of you who is older than 20 will die in the wilderness, and you won't experience the promise that I've given. Joshua and Caleb were the only two of the 12 spies who, who remained alive. Everyone else had died. And now as truly the leaders of the nation, the elder statesmen of the nation, and Joshua here in the key position of leadership. The Lord is preparing them to enter into the promise. And you can read even in these verses that God has essentially given Joshua a threefold task. In fact, the book of Joshua itself, as we read and we study our way through the book of Joshua, the book of Joshua is arranged around the basic outline presented here in these verses. There's a kind of a, a three-step plan, if you will, that God has given to Joshua, and, and the book of Joshua is arranged. The first thing that the Lord said is He wants to direct Israel into the promised land. So Joshua's first task is lead the people, direct the people into the promised land. The second task that God has given to jo- Joshua is that they would divide up the land of Canaan among the tribes, so that they would distribute, divide and distribute the land among the tribes of the nation, so that everybody would have their place, everybody would have their territory, Everyone would receive their inheritance, their promise, so to speak. And then finally, they were to defeat the enemy and drive out the enemy from these lands in order that they might fulfill. And and even that was a punishment against the wickedness of the people that they were going to defeat. And so God gives him that plan in these verses. Verses 2 and 3, we see that here he's to direct the people into the promised land. Verse 4, they are to divide the land amongst the, the, the nation. And then even in verse 5, we see this instruction that they are to defeat the enemy and that the enemy will not be able to stand against them. And verse 5 offers us this key insight as to how all of this will take place. Look at what God says to Joshua in Joshua 1.5. He says, Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. It's God's promise that, Joshua, I will be with you in all of the things that I'm calling you to, in all of the things that I'm instructing you to do, in all of these grand designs that I have for you, I will be with you if you will just follow my instructions. Sometimes God is calling us to things that feel like it's just way too much. You ever feel like that? You ever, you ever sense God's leadership? You sense his direction in some way in your life? And you think, there's no way that I could do that. But when we begin to, when we begin to operate in, in those spaces where we feel like we're beyond our strength, beyond our abilities, beyond what we can do, that's truly when we begin to live by faith. Because see, if, you, if all you ever do is live in the strength that 
that just comes naturally. If, if all you ever seek to accomplish are the things that you can do on your own, it seems, without God, then you're never really living the life that God has called you to because God is calling you to live beyond your strength. He's calling you to things that are greater than what you can do. He's calling you into a, a way of obedience and faithfulness that will stretch you beyond your own your own abilities, your own capabilities, because it's then that we begin to live by faith. How are we to do that? Well, the instruction is clear here. Be strong and courageous. I told you to look for this, right? Did you see the three times in these verses? In verse 6, be strong and courageous. Again, in verse 7, be strong and very courageous. And then in verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and and courageous. Actually, what's interesting is this same instruction has already been given to Joshua back in the book of Deuteronomy. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 31, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, twice Moses tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. And then a word from God directly in, ver- in, in chapter 31, verse 23 of Deuteronomy, to be strong and courageous. So again and again and again, God is saying to Joshua, you get the point, right? That God is repeating this again and again because clearly what the Lord is calling Joshua to is going to take some strength and some courage. Well, how is he to be strong and courageous? Well, he's to obey the Lord, right? But if we're going to live by faith, how are we to be strong and courageous? Well, the same is true for us. And that's really the, the, the focus. That's where I want to spend the rest of our time today is sort of unpacking what God has spoken to Joshua here. Now, clearly, God has spoken this to Joshua for this moment, for this purpose. But we understand that through the the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God is also, it's speaking to us as well. And just as God has spoken a word to Joshua here, telling Joshua to be strong and courageous, The lesson that we can learn, the way that we can apply that truth to our lives is that we would learn to be strong and courageous in all the things that God is calling us to. Now, God's not calling you to do what he called Joshua to do, right? God's not calling you to lead a nation across the river into a promised land. At least, I don't think that's what God's calling anyone in the room to do. And yet, no doubt, God is calling you to something. And whatever it is, I'm confident that it's bigger than you. And that it's more than you could do on your own. Because God's design is for you to get into the deep waters, if I can describe it that way. So that we would live beyond our own strength in the strength that He provides. That we would truly live by faith. Living by faith requires strength and courage. Where does that strength and that courage come from? from? It comes from God. And that's what we see in Joshua chapter 1. So there are three points. If you're following along in the back of the sermon guide, there are three points that I want to make about how we are to be strong and courageous. And the first point is more passive. It's more something that we receive or that we live in. And the second two points are more active. It's something that we do, okay? And that's what I want us to see, all taken from Joshua chapter 1. The first point is this. How are we to be strong and courageous? Well, first, we have to be saturated with the presence of God. The first way that we're to understand to be strong and courageous would be that we would be saturated with the presence of God. And so, I want us to look specifically at the instruction that God has given 
Moses here, but we're going to work backward, okay? We're going to start in verse 9 and then work our way backward from verse 9 to verse 5, all right? So in verse 9, God says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That in order to be strong and courageous, Joshua is to, be, is to live saturated in the presence of God. That God is with him. When, we think of some, when I think of something that's saturated, I think of just a simple picture of a sponge, right? Like if you take a sponge and you dip it in water and, and it soaks up that water, you lift the sponge out of the water and you squeeze it and the water just oozes out of the pores of that sponge, right? Why? Because that sponge, its design is to absorb and, and when it gets in water, it absorbs, it becomes saturated with the water. We are to be saturated with the presence of God. We are to absorb the presence of God so that when we when we are squeezed, what comes out of us is the very, the very things of God. The way that we, that we are saturated in the presence of God is the presence of His Holy Spirit in our hearts and our lives. In fact, you and I have a tremendous advantage that Joshua and the children of Israel did not have. They had the presence of God with them, leading them, guiding them, the The Ark of the Covenant was symbolic of that, even representative of that. You and I have God's very presence with us, inside of us, wherever we go. We sang a song, the opening song that we sang this morning. There was a part of that song, what we would call the bridge section of that song. And we sang these words, okay? We sang, and if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us. And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? Did you know that those words actually are lifted from the scripture? Go to Romans chapter 8 and begin in verse 30, 31 of Romans chapter 8, and you'll read those words. Those are the very words of scripture, and it's the promise that if we will live in the strength of God's Holy Spirit, that nothing can stand against us because God has given us His Holy Spirit. And everyone who believes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord by faith, receives His Holy Spirit. And so you and I can be saturated with the presence of God by living with His Holy Spirit in our hearts by faith. I mentioned that this first point was passive rather than active, and this is what I mean by this. You can't call or command the presence of God in and of your own strength. It's something that God gives to you that He has poured out freely as a gift that he is bestowed as a gift to all of those who know him by faith. And so the way that we are to be saturated with the presence of God is to be aligned with his will. First of all, we have to know him by faith. We have to come to the place where we surrender our lives to Jesus by faith. And anytime we talk about knowing him by faith, I think it's important that we would, that we would ask ourselves, do I know him by faith? I think that's an important question for you to consider this morning. Do you know the Lord by faith? Has there ever been a moment when you have trusted Him by faith, turning from your sins, confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life? If you have, if you have turned to Him in faith, then you have received His Holy Spirit. And we can be saturated, we can be filled 
with the Holy Spirit of God as we seek to live in His presence. In fact, there are two dimensions of this that I think are important for us to understand. One is personal, individual, we might say, and one is corporate. So on the individual side of things, we are to be saturated with God's presence in our lives, each one of us, as we seek to live in the strength and the power that the Lord provides. It's interesting that in Hebrews chapter 13, the writer of Hebrews quotes Joshua chapter 1 verse 5, the Lord will be with you wherever you go. And if you, if you note the context of that in Hebrews 13, the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't trust in money and don't trust in things, but rather trust in God. Because the temptation for us is to try to trust in things that we see, things that we can grasp, things that we can hold on to, rather than trusting in the Spirit of God. But the way that we do this on an individual level is we, we don't give in to the temptation to find my satisfaction, to find fulfillment, to find the, my, my, my purpose even in the things that I have or the things that I can do, but rather to find all of that in the Lord and to trust in Him and the power of His might. I also mentioned there's a corporate dimension to this. There's something that we do collectively together as well, just as with Joshua here. Joshua is to be saturated in the presence of the Lord on a personal level so that he can lead Israel on a national level, on, a, on, on the level of a, of a people, a nation, to experience the fullness of God's promise. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, we read the instructions that Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. In fact, let me just read them for you. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. And listen to all of this. Listen for the language in Ephesians 4. Listen for the language about being filled with the fullness of God. This is written to the church. Paul writes, He gave, God gave, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, so these different roles that the Lord has assigned, in order to equip the saints for the works of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus is that God has given us all these leaders and these, these, these uh, shepherds and, and people, but the whole point of that is to equip the people of God, the body of Christ, the church, so that the church might be equipped to grow in maturity. And so the, the purpose of all of this is that we would grow together, we would mature together so that we might experience the fullness of all that God has. I'll keep reading. He goes on to write in verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro with the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working perfectly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the instruction that Paul gives to the church in Ephesians is that we are, to, we are to be saturated in the presence of God. We are to experience the fullness of all that God has for us as each one of us use God's gifts, the gifts of His Holy Spirit, what we would call our spiritual giftedness, to, to encourage each other, to build each other up, to strengthen one another, to work together 
to accomplish God's purpose. So there's an individual and a corporate sort of dimension of this, saturated with the presence of God. There's been a lot of attention lately to what's taken place in uh, in Kentucky at Asbury University and and revival that has been held there. And uh, one of the things that you've seen in response to this is that people are hungry for revival. People are hungry to experience that that outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that movement of God. But if we aren't careful. We make it an emotional thing, and we begin chasing after sort of an emotional high, or we get fixated on the feeling, rather than understanding that real revival is about a decision to live in obedience, to be filled with the presence of the fullness of God. And that happens not through intense emotion, although intense emotion might be a sign of it, but that doesn't happen by chasing a feeling. That happens by living in obedience and submission to the Holy Spirit of God. You want to experience real revival? Then I would say start confessing sin. Start repenting of the things that you do that would grieve the Spirit of God. Turn to Him and seek His forgiveness. Walk in obedience. Read the Word of God. Seek to be in a right relationship with God. That's where real revival happens. It's not through chasing an emotion. It's through living in obedience to the Spirit of God. And we can live in obedience. We can be saturated with His presence as we walk by faith. And the promise is this, the Lord will be with us wherever we go. Wherever we go, whatever we do. I told you we're going to work our way backwards. So that's the first way. How are we to be strong and courageous? We're to be saturated with the presence of God. That's the passive thing. We, we allow God to fill us as we humble ourselves and submit ourselves. The next two are more active. These are things that we do. The first one is this. It's really the second point, but it's the first of these more active steps that we take. We're to meditate on the Word of God. Look at verse 8. Joshua 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. How was Joshua to lead the people with strength and courage? By meditating on the Word of God. Now, the Word of God that Joshua was to meditate on here would be what you and I would know as the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. Because, understand, this is all playing out in real time for Joshua, right? And so Moses is passed. We read at the end of Deuteronomy that Moses has been collecting an anthology of sorts of his of, 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 of history, of all that God has done and the way that God has worked, both from the time of Adam and the time of Abraham and the time of Isaac and Jacob and Israel, all the way to Moses' own day. And he's collected together this story, this unfolding story of what God has done in leading his people. And that story, those stories, would be what he handed to Joshua, and he refers to it as the book of the law. Deuteronomy chapter 31, you can read about that. That God is God has spoken to Moses, and Moses has written it down, and now Moses instructs the Levites, the leaders, the religious leaders, follow, follow as Joshua leads you, and be careful to take this word of the Lord, the word of the law, the word of commandment, and, he, and the Lord instructs Joshua here, meditate on it. Now, when we think about meditation, uh, many of us, maybe our, our, our default 
thought is something like a transcendental meditation, right? Like a, you know, you picture someone who's sitting like in a, with, with their legs crisscrossed and they're, and they're doing something weird with their hands and they're like closing their, that's not what meditation really, I mean, that's a form, I suppose. Meditation really just means to think deeply on something, to reflect on it, to, to really take it in. And that's the instruction here for Joshua. Joshua, think deeply. I think it's the very essence of what Jesus instructed his disciples in John chapter 15 when Jesus says to his disciples, abide in me. John 15, 5, right? You're to remain in me. You're to abide in me and let my word abide in you. We meditate on God's truths by abiding with him, by, by living in that presence of God, by seeking to to think deeply. This is why the study of God's Word is so important for us. It's why I'm encouraging you to read through the Bible. It's why we're working together, endeavoring together to read through the Scripture together, is because I am convinced that as we meditate on the Word of God, as we think deeply on the Word of God, that it will instruct us and lead us in the places that we should go. We're to meditate on God's Word so that we can be led by the Spirit of God so that we can experience the fullness of what he has. That's what it means to be strong and courageous, is to think on what God's word has said and then apply that truth to my life. And when I seek to live out what the word of God is telling me to do, that's the place where I live with strength and courage. Not in the things that I can do, not in my own strength, but in the strength of God's Holy Spirit, leading me to live in obedience to his word as we meditate on that word of God. And then finally, this instruction imitate the commandments of God. So how are we to be strong and courageous? Not only are we to be saturated with the presence of God, not only are we to meditate on the Word of God, the commandments of God, we're also to imitate the commandments of God. We're to do what the Word says. It's not enough just to simply think about what the Word says. We've got to do it as well. We've got to put it into practice in our lives. We don't just think on it as if to say, oh, that's a good thought. Oh, yes, I believe that. But we live it out by actively obeying what the Word of God says that we are to do. Verse 7, right? Be strong and courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. It's not just to know the law that God says to Moses, but it's, I mean, to Joshua, rather, it's to do it to do it. So we have to, we have to put it into practice. And so the reason I've called this imitating is because there are times when, there are times when we have to do what we know that we need to do, even though it may not be the thing that we feel like doing. Have you ever been in that place where you know what you should do, you know what is right, but if you're being honest, you just don't feel like it? Those are the moments where we have to keep moving forward, keep taking steps of obedience by faith that we would do what God has commanded us to do as an act of obedience, as an act of worship, as an act of submission to the very presence of God that indwells our hearts by faith. If we want to be strong and courageous, we need to be saturated with the presence of God. We need to have a relationship with Him so that His presence abides with us by faith. And then we need to meditate on his instructions, and we need to be careful to, to do them, to imitate his instructions as well, so that we might be committed even in the face of opposition. 
And there's one final thing that I want to point, point to in this passage before we move into a time of response, a time of invitation to all of this in a moment. Look at what he says at the end of verse 8. I think it's important that we understand this properly. The last sentence of verse 8 says, For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Now, it's important that we understand that prosperous and success, the word, those words here, are not given in the context of, uh, of you and I deciding. This doesn't mean that if you follow the Lord, if you, if, if you are, are faithful to Him, that He's going to give you everything that you've ever wanted. No, prosperity and success here must, must be in, understood entirely through the lens of God's will and His purpose and His design. Because otherwise, we've set ourselves up for something that is, not only is it self-centered, not only is it inwardly focused, but quite honestly, it's just, it's just downright uh, wrong. We, we've, we've, we've set ourselves up to be the center of it all. If we get to define what is success, if we this define prosperity on our terms according to what we want, now, this is entirely according to God's purpose, His plans, His design. Just as God said to Joshua, Joshua, if you obey me and you lead this people, I will be with you wherever you will go, and nations mightier than you will fall at your hand. God is saying to us, if you will obey me, if you will walk by faith, if you will do what I have instructed, if you will meditate on my word, if you will imitate what it says, I will be with you wherever you go. And I will lead you to accomplish everything that I'm calling you to do. Because God's strength, His power is enough to sustain us and lead us however He would direct us if we would walk by faith with Him. And so in a moment, we're going to move into a time of response where we have to, each one of us, sort of wrestle with this personally and say, what is the Lord calling me to? How do I walk in obedience to that? How do I live in submission to God's purpose and His will? Well, we know that we are to be saturated with His presence so that we could meditate on His Word and be careful to do what it says. This morning, may we, may we honor that. May we put that into practice. May we obey as we seek to honor Him as Lord and live according to His Word. Would you bow your head with me and close your eyes with me as we prepare for a time of response, a time of invitation, even this morning. Our prayer of response will be, Lord, guide us, lead us as we seek to do all that you are instructing us to do. And so, Lord, it is under your hand of leadership this morning that we, we ask that you would guide us. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts. Fill us with your presence as we seek to walk by faith, as we seek to honor you. Guide us, Holy Spirit, that we, would, that we would do what you are calling us to, living by faith, not in our own strength, but in the strength you provide so that we might fulfill your purpose, your task, knowing that your task always, always is leading us to love others with the love that you've given to us and to point, to point people to Jesus. Guide us now, Spirit, even in our response, we pray. Amen. So we stand together this morning.